This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And I'll suck you up and I'll spit you out and I'll play with your babies till you scream Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Lindsay Gibbs, sports reporter at Think Progress in Washington, D.C., where things have been super calm this week. (laughs) And I'll be leading the way today. Joining me is Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports reporter and tech expert in Toronto, Canada, Jessica Luther in Wash in uh, not Washington DC, even no. though that's what I wrote in my notes, because that's how I'm doing. <laughs> Jessica Luther in Austin, Texas, and Brenda Elsie, associate professor at Hofstra, who is once again coming to us from Argentina. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm doing well. I am actually sitting in a freezing rainstorm and snowstorm in Toronto, so I'm hoping for better weather. But other than that, I'm great. I'm doing good. Cool. So, okay. So, so Toronto, Canada is exactly how I picture it. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, there's more to Canada than Toronto. Oh my God. You sound like a Torontonian, actually. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Well, first of all, I want to thank our Patreon supporters. If you're new, you might be asking, what in the world is a Patreon supporter? Well, have I got a lucky day for you because I'm going to explain it. So Patreon is how we keep this podcast, this labor of love, this independent, women-funded, women-produced, women-everything podcast running through Patreon, patreon.com slash burn it all down. You can pledge a monthly donation. And we're not asking you to pledge a lot. One dollar. $2, $5, whatever makes the most sense for you and your budget. That way we know what we can count on each month and we can go ahead and pay for our editing, pay for transcripts, pay for people to help us with our social media and graphics and really invest in this podcast so that it can grow and flourish. We're overwhelmed with the support so far, but we want to keep it going. For just $2 a month, you will get access to Patreon-only podcast segments. This week's segment will be talking about the tragedy in Canada, the hockey players from Humboldt who who died in the crash, the impact that has had on the community. And we're going to talk a little bit about the youth sports complex at large. So if, if you want to hear more about that, please subscribe to our Patreon and you will. This week on our podcast, we are going to be discussing, once again, everything that Michigan State is doing wrong in handling the post-Nasser uh, world. It seems that There's enough for an entire segment on that every week or two here, but it's important to keep the story in the uh, rear view, in the, not in the rear view mirror, excuse me, firmly in front of us and and continue to talk about. Then we're going to talk about the WNBA. We had the draft this week and we're going to talk about what, what we're really excited about 
coming into this next season. And then we have an extra special interview with the legendary national championship coach, Muffet McGraw. I talked to her this week and I'm so excited to bring you all that interview. But that is all contingent on me ever stopping talking about Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Which might not happen because the Dancing with the Stars athletes cast came out this week. It's just a four-week event, but I'm just going to read oh, good. you Only four weeks. the names. <laughs> it's just four weeks. I only have to be into it for four uh, weeks. That's great news. I'm, tr- I'm trying to pitch my co-host on a weekly Burn It All Down Patreon-only recap. So if you would like me to do that, please comment and tell Jess that she really needs to watch all of it and, <laughs> and recap with Has me. Adam Rapana already won. Um, Doesn't he just win? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. But listen, th- like it looks like Burn It All Down made this cast list. <laughs> it's true. It really, it's a, it's like, a really good cast list. I will give you that. It's a great cast list. You have Adam. You have Adam Rapon. You have Mirai, Triple Axel, Nagasu. You have Jamie Anderson, the expert snowboarder. You have Chris Mazder, the super hot loser. Yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering why they should care about him, I'm just going to be honest. Uh, and no, he, he's he's great. And then softball pitcher Jenny Finch, who we love. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar! Have- Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yes, She's I'm getting there, it till I'm the end. There. It's literally the next one on my list. <laughs> you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You have Josh Norman from the from Washington football team. You have Johnny Damon, baseball star. And... Can I get a drum roll? Arike! <laughs> Arike Gumbole is there! And okay, Tanya, who are you guys most Tanya excited Harding. about? Tanya oh, Harding! Sorry, I forgot about Tanya Harding. <laughs> it's quite a group. I was saving her for the last because a little problematic. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. It should be really okay. interesting. That whole the figure skating it's- dynamic. Will be very interesting Ooh. with the two ge- the right. multiple generations there. I'm really excited to watch Kareem Abdul Jabbar dance. Same here. I, I mean, it was like very interesting. He, yeah, he's like seven two. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> like, I mean, coordination is hard when you're that tall. And I just love that he's doing this. I like, I love him. Just everything about him. And so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that goes. I love everything about him uh, too, but same. I still feel like it's going to be an awkward situation on the dance yeah. floor i don't oh, know there, there's some, <laughs> i mean we there's also be we a also lot of secondhand embarrassment. we also have to keep in mind it is reality television so having tanya harding adds this flair of drama having that awkwardness is imperative according to show's producers like it can't be seamless there's got to be some type of you know like drama attention quote-unquote reality there to for for viewers because this is still about entertainment right well, yeah. I mean, yes, thank you, Shireen. And I, I now like I'm now thinking about what Shireen would be like as a reality television producer. I'm getting really excited. <laughs> no, I want there to be really a documentary on burn it, burn it all down, and I'll be like, no, not dramatic enough. Sorry, Jessica, you need yeah. to cry way more. Brenda, this needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, I think I might actually Ooh, watch. Right. I think I might actually watch. I think I think my husband might. Uh, Leave me over. I don't know. He will not be happy when I tell him this, but he'll go with it. It'll be fine. It's just four weeks. He can, you can, we can all do anything for four weeks. It's, it'll be it'll be great. Okay. Anyways, we're really excited about that, and trust me, I will be talking about this more. I, my co-host can't stop me. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Love you all. We're going to start with some serious flame throwing and burn pile lighting here. Michigan State. Brenda, get us started. Michigan State. It's so sad as a once proud alumni of the school to look at what's happened in the past months. Basically, Michigan State's leadership has shown itself to be totally incapable of creating the dramatic shift that they need following the horrific trial of Larry Nassar, because we've seen just like in the last few weeks, uh, the former boss of Larry Nassar, who was dean of MSU's College of Osteopathic Medicine, William Strample, has come under a a series of horrific allegations. I'm sure that we're going to hear more about that. And Michigan State seemed totally unwilling to respond in an even marginally adequate way Another woman filed a lawsuit against the university earlier this week, alleging she was raped by three basketball players in 2015, but that the university counseling center discouraged her from going to the police. And Michigan State responded by probably violating her privacy. And so, so it's been one thing after another. And I would just like to say really quickly, and then, and then we'll, we'll open it. I, I don't want to take up too much time, but I cringed when John Engler was appointed as interim president. A lot of people didn't grow up in Michigan, but if you did, in the 1990s, when John Engler was governor, he dismissed the sexual assault cases of women prisoners in Michigan that were assaulted by... But yeah, and it it was so bad that the United Nations tried to send a special investigator to look into... Oh my gosh. Yeah, to look into the, the victims and their violation by the guards. And basically, John Engler told the United Nations that there's nothing to see here. So it's it, 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 as soon as he was he was nominated, I just sort of went, oh. So that's it's a really frustrating and terrible state of things. Have you guys been paying attention to any particular aspect of this horrible garbage pile? I've been following it really closely. <laughs> you can't – my coworkers keep being like, you're still doing stuff on Michigan State? And I'm like, I think that there's so much – to look at here, like there, there's no bottom. You keep thinking that there's a bottom and then there's a whole, like you lift it up and there's, it, it's endless space below it. Like Michigan state is just, it's beyond. I, I, I obviously can't even finish a sentence, but let's talk about the John Engler aspect first. That appointment, as Brenda said, right off the bat, is just showing that you care way more about protecting your brand and appeasing fundraisers than you actually do about victims and about getting things right in the school itself. What do dirty politicians and people who are in high levels of academia is like in the administration, presidents, trustees, what did they have in common? Fundraising. <laughs> That's what they have in common. Get, you know, talking to people, getting money, raising money, you know, hobnobbing with these horrible fellows to try and get some money. That, that, that That's the only thing. John Angler doesn't have, have experience running a university. He has no experience and no track record of adequately dealing with victims of sexual assault and showing any sort of compassion. So the only reason you make that appointment is because your number one focus is to try and prove that Michigan State didn't do anything wrong. And if that is still your mindset at this time in all of this, if that is still your main priority, then you don't get it. And I don't know if you ever will. 
yeah, one of the interesting or one of the things we have to keep talking about with Michigan State, one of the big takeaways for me from Michigan State that you can apply more broadly when we're looking at this issue, which obviously is something I care very deeply about. And I'll actually be writing about this this week is that this is really hard work. And I know I've said this on the show before, but this is like long term difficult work that has to keep happening. And Lindsay, I really appreciate the work that you're doing at Think Progress to keep attention on this. I'm very glad that Outside the Lines continues to report on this. Like we we need to keep looking at it and talking about it because it's so easy not to. Like there is an exhaustion to it that even if you care very deeply about this issue where you just get so tired and overwhelmed, uh, how do you fix this, right? I mean, like it just feels so gigantic, but Michigan State isn't alone. Like maybe if you had a scale of one to 10, most schools fall on like five or six on how they handle this in Michigan State's up at a nine, you know, but like this, these are issues that are everywhere that need to be handled. And, you know, I, I, one thing that's interesting for me about Michigan is what's going on in the legislature. They're trying to pass a bunch of laws in order to fix this. And that part makes me nervous too. <laughs> Some of it, I'm sh- it will be good, right? There definitely needs to be better oversight. But like just this week, David Jesse at the uh, Detroit Free Press, he's their higher ed beat reporter. He and I had a very short exchange on Twitter because he was reporting that there's a, a new bill that's made it into committee about the university sexual assault reports or that they would go to governing boards. And like, this would be part of the oversight. And I asked him, well, are they going to be redacted if they, if they go to governing boards? You know, people who are reporting at Michigan University is now giving up information about themselves to the governing boards. And he said that he didn't know that they haven't worked that part out yet. And so I just, you know, that's a big part of it, too, in Michigan to see like what laws are going to be passed in the wake of Michigan State uh, that other states are probably going to adopt and like the impact of those like we really have to pay attention so that we understand what's going on there because it will absolutely affect other states as well. Shireen? Um, I just want to go back to something that just mentioned in the beginning, which she was just saying about the exhaustion that happens from this and the importance. And I just sort of want to echo that, that I was talking to somebody just sort of insane that, you know, this is what we'll probably talk about, because a lot of incredible work about this comes up. Lindsay and, 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 and I echo Jess, but, you know, thank you for the work you do on it, because this, this isn't over. A lot of people assume that after the sentencing and the comment that I got from that person was, oh, but they were master of sentence, it's done. And it leads me to really correct them and say, no, it's not done. A, the healing for the survivors is nowhere near done. The discussions on how things need to change policy-wise and the accountability that needs to happen is nowhere near done. So even within media and societal perceptions of, oh, the case is done, it's finished, it's nowhere near done. And I'm so grateful that we're talking about it. And I hope other people continue to talk about it because as Brenda said, there needs to be a lot of, you know, there needs to be a lot of things that need to happen because there's continual botching up of the situation. Absolutely. I mean, this week, there was a board of trustees Mm. meeting on just this was just on Friday. Once again, I I found myself gasping in my office watching the tweets and updates for this. And look, I have to say, it is the local reporters in Michigan who are keeping this this going. That's absolutely true. Phenomenal. I mean, they like the reporters at Michigan Radio, at the Detroit Free Press, at the Lansing State Journal, they are absolutely staying on top of every beat of this. And they deserve every bit of credit. And if you are not supporting local journalism in some way, go out and change that immediately. (laughs) 
Like that is the most important thing to I think our entire democracy right now. But anyways, so I was following the updates from these reporters who were in this board of trustees meeting and 18 year old Kaylee Larynx, who is one of the survivors, she so some of the survivors came and asked to get places in this board meeting so that they could address the board of trustees because the board of trustees has just been so horrendous handling this. And these survivors wanted a chance to directly talk to the board of trustees and President Engler in a public setting. So that's what they did. And Kayla Larynx, once again, 18 years old, went up there to speak. And she said that John Engler had offered her in private a $250,000 check if she dropped her civil lawsuit against the school. This offer was made uh, two weeks ago. It was in, as I said, a private meeting. Uh, Kaylee's mother was there. And then John Engler had two lawyers present. He claims they were not his lawyers. They were just lawyers in general. But (laughs) he still had legal people with them. But this just keeps getting worse. I know that is hard to believe. But as we said, So according to Larynx, and this is reported by Michigan Radio, so kudos to them, quote, Mr. Engler then looked directly at me and asked, right now, if I wrote you a check for $250,000, would you take it? Larynx then continued to say, when I explained that it's not about money for me and that I just want to help, he said, well, give me a number, end quote. So as Larynx is talking about these public comments at this board of trustees meeting, which once again, journalists, all the trustees, Michigan students, Michigan alumni, they're all, you know, all there are people at this meeting. This is in public when she's telling this story. Larynx said that mentioned that Engler's lawyer was there and Engler at that point interrupted her and said, quote, she's not my lawyer. Be careful. Oh, my gosh. So this is John Engler threatening an 18-year-old. That's that's the only way to interpret that is a threat. Be careful. It, as she's talking about him trying to pay her off. Uh, you know, I talked to the, the one of the lawyers, uh, John Manley, who's a lawyer who represents Lorenz and met many of Nasser's victims. And I talked to him about this on Friday. And I thought his quote was really powerful. He said to me, Michigan State clearly looks at these women as the enemy. And if you have any doubt about that, I think we can all agree that President Engler just threatened a four foot eight girl. <laughs> and, you know, he he went on to say, yeah, so so he's and I think that sums it up. Michigan State views the survivors of Larry Nasser who are speaking out as the enemies. I don't know where you go from that. I, I mean, you have to clear house, but. <laughs> How do you even keep going? I don't know. Anyone else? Brenda? I think John Engler has evil for many years to come. I think he can keep going. I would just like to remind ourselves that John Engler's a lawyer. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's a lawyer. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> he acts like, oh, you know, he's not a lawyer. He's perfectly aware of what, of what he's doing. And I think it's also worth mentioning that when, especially like, Jessica and 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 Lindsay, you all of your work that was done during the Nasser trial focused a lot on how, of course, it's more than Nasser and that these things were going to come out. And so this case of Nasser's boss, William Strample, has been one of those situations that you sort of knew it was coming. There's no way someone like that could operate the predator that Larry Nasser was without others being complicit in it. 
And it's, it's so sad and upsetting, but also very predictable to see people like that, that are going to come out. And I would expect it's, it is going to keep going and going and going. If, if you had, for those of you who had followed or who had not followed, um, Strample then has four former medical students, in this case, all of which whom are female, that have a range of accusations against him. And so the Michigan Attorney General now is prosecuting him. And in the affidavit, it says very clearly that Strample had failed to implement protocols and allowed Nasser to continue abusing patients. So it's a whole web, a whole culture that needs a complete revolution. And as we've just discussed, I just don't see how the people in charge right now are in any case, like able to do that. I can't think of one person, right? And it's sad because I worked at the Women's Resource Center at Michigan State University. There are dedicated, amazing women that are ready to take charge, but they're not going to be in charge. It's just, (laughs) it's... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what's going. I mean, I I feel like I should end this by by saying a little bit more actually about what Kaylee Lering said in this in this speech she gave to the board of trustees. Another element of this conversation in private that she had with Engler was that Engler told her that Rachel Denhollander, who is someone who the the first victim to come forward publicly against Nasser, and we we had her on this podcast in an interview that I hope that you've all listened to, and we'll go back to listen to if you haven't. She's just remarkable. But in this meeting, private meeting between Lorings and Engler, Engler told Kaylee that Rachel had given him a dollar amount. Oh, my gosh. After this meeting, Kaylee called Rachel. Rachel's never met with John Engler. He's never, she's never given him a dollar amount. So Engler is lying to Kaylee about settling with other people to try and get her to settle. As if that's not going to come out. And then to top it off, so we just talked about the horrible allegations against Dean Strample who is, you know, facing all these multiple charges of sexually harassing female medical students, having pornography on his work computer, and of course, failing to properly enforce safety protocols when he worked as Nasser's boss. This is Nasser's boss. And apparently, Kaylee brought this, brought Strample up to Engler in this private meeting. And (laughs) Engler said that the charges against Strample were, quote, no big deal. Just a slap on the butt. Oh, my God. Burn it all down. Burn it all down. (laughs) Burn it it all down. Burn it all down. You know what? uh, I think Michigan State is going to join FIFA in the internal incinerator. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If there weren't already there. Yeah. At this point, what else do you do? And look, I just need to say that because this board meeting did get a lot of attention and there are a lot of calls for the board and for Engler to resign. I want to remind everyone that we are recording this on Sunday morning. So if there are any updates after this, there, you know, it, there, there could be further, further news updates that we're not going to cover today. Of course, we will always stay on top of the story, but I just want to remind everyone that, that we are recording this on Sunday morning. And as of now, John Engler is still there and the entire board of trustees is still intact. Moving on. The only thing in sports basically that gets me going these days is uh, the amazingness of women's sports. <laughs> That's kind of my happy place right now within the sporting world. And this week was the WNBA draft, which got me incredibly excited for the WNBA season. Jess, please 
Help us change gears here. Absolutely. So this past Thursday night in New York City, the WNBA held its annual draft. Uh, No one was surprised when South Carolina's Asia Wilson went first to the Las Vegas Aces, formerly the San Antonio Stars. I'm just going to run down the rest of the first round of the draft. So these are the big names. Kelsey Mitchell of Ohio State went second to Indiana Fever. With picks three and four, the Chicago Sky chose Diamond to Shields, whose journey to the WNBA took her from North Carolina to Tennessee to Turkey. Uh, The Chicago Sky also went with Gabby Williams from Connecticut. Jordan Canada from UCLA went fifth to the Seattle Storm, where she'll play point behind legend Sue Bird. I'm really interested in that dynamic. Azaray Stevens, who left UConn early to enter the draft, she went sixth to the Dallas Wings. Texas's Ariel Atkins landed with the Washington Mystics. With the eighth pick, Indiana Fever added Mississippi State's Victoria Vivians to their roster. Duke's Lexi Brown went ninth to the Connecticut Sun. UConn's Kia Nurse is headed to the New York Liberty. The LA Sparks picked up Maria Vadiva from Russia. And with the 12th pick, the Phoenix Mercury chose Marie Gulich from Oregon State. So training camp's going to begin for the WNBA at the end of this month. Preseason runs the first half of May. The final rosters will be announced on May 17th, just in time for the start of the season, the weekend of May 18th. It's on my calendar. I'm stoked. Shireen, are you now a New York Liberty fan? I am Absolutely. So excited to get my New York Liberty jersey that says nurse on the back. I am so excited. (laughs) Y'all know I love Kia so much. I also am a huge fan of Gabby and Azure, and I'm going to humble brag and be like, they'll follow me on social media and I love them and they're okay with me being (laughs) obsessed with them. They're like totally okay with it. But they're also it's like a beauty because I've been following them for a while and to see them, I even tweeted out that I was like, had these big sister, I was catching my feelings because I was sort of feeling like I was so proud of them. I could definitely be their mother in age, but we're just not going to go there. But my <laughs> point is, is that the way that they were so proud and their grinning faces and the WNBA draft is such an exciting thing. Like it's this night of hope and excitement. And, you know, it's just, they're so valued and cherished. Like I, I'm so excited. I'm also really happy that uh, Kia's like in New York, like a little closer. Cause like if she was going to go further, it'd be harder. <laughs> so I can do a road trip. I could like pick up Brenda and we can like go and you know what? We'll just come and pick up Lindsay too. Cause it's really not that far. So <laughs> we'll just like, I don't think you have a great idea. That's how excited I am about this. And it's just <laughs> drawing me in. And what I love about this is like, I should follow the WNBA more. Like I really should, but this is what happens when you love like women's college ball and it draws you in. And I, hope it draws a lot of other people in. Like I'm I'm really excited about it. Like I'm just I'm so excited and I hope I see and people wearing those jerseys and you know being excited about it and and doing that thing and I'm like I'm I'm re- I'm really excited actually that's all I can say and so proud of them because you know the end of the season was really difficult and it wasn't the way that they you know wanted to go but like their faces and their joy was palpable so I'm happy for them. Yeah, it's so soon. Like, it's just such a whirlwind for these women's players. They, it, you know, the NCAA tournament ends a couple weeks later. It's the draft. And then a couple weeks later, they're in training camp. Yeah. It's just nonstop. Uh, it's always exhausting thinking about. Jess, I know you've got your eyes on some uh, Texas team yeah. out there. Yeah. What are you excited about I'm, for this year? I am really excited about the Dallas Wings. So they are now the lone Texas team because San Antonio jumped to Vegas. One thing that's really interesting about them is they're really young. 
overall. So I was looking at it. Um, so young. Yeah, so as the roster sits right now today as we're recording, the only true veterans on the team are Karima Christmas Kelly, the best name in the world, who is in her seventh season. Skylar Diggins-Smith is like the second best name in the world. And Glory Johnson are in their fifth season. And Teresa Plaisance is in her fourth. And then they just signed Liz Cambid, Cam- Cambage, Cambage, <gasps> who yes. has played professional ball, part of it in the WNBA since 2007. Head coach Fred Williams told Jazz Brown to high post hoops about is it Cambridge 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 that quote Liz is a triple threat player go Lindsay it's Australian so I they they say their A's differently so I'm honestly not sure okay so. all right so Fred, Liz let's call her Liz we're on a first name basis there you go so Fred Williams told Jasmine Brown at high post hoops about Liz quote Liz is a triple threat player who can shoot pass and defend inside the paint extremely well she'll provide a strong inside out threat that I think will be very exciting for our fans and the league but those four those are the veterans on this entire roster at the same time, even though they're young, the team made it, made it to the playoffs last year, which was really exciting. They had to they had to fight for it. That means all the returning players, no matter their age, have a little bit of experience with that kind of fight. They lost in the first round to the Washington Mystics in that one and done first round, which is always kind of it's brutal for them. They also have the returning rookie of the year, Alicia Gray which is very exciting. And they just picked up Azrae Stevens. Diggins Smith was amazing last year coming off of her ACL injury. She is just poised. Uh, and she, Christmas Kelly and Glory Johnson have all actually been playing together for years now. So they have a really good mix. So I really think that this is like one of the teams to watch. Like, as long as they all stay healthy they c- and they find that chemistry with the people coming in, the talent is absolutely there. And I really think that they could run deep. They could make a, ru- a deep run, I mean. So I'm and I'm hoping to make it to Dallas. I just think this team is is very exciting and the potential is, you know, like it just, it, I'm geared up. I'm ready to go. I totally agree with you. I was, as Jess mentioned, it was the Washington Mystics that they lost to in the playoffs. So I was at that game covering it because I do some beat reporting uh, for the Washington Mystics. I, you know, I, I cover that team on a regular basis and just love doing that. It's, it's one of my favorite things. It's an exciting team to watch. I think having Liz back, I mean, Liz is, she's so tall. She's such a big presence. She's one of the most fun basketball players to watch, period. And having her back in the WNBA is just a thrill. I'm, I'm just so excited about that. Glory Johnson is so good. She's so good. And, and Skylar Diggins Smith and, and Diggins Smith you know, we at, at her press conference after the game, after the loss, so after their season was over, I asked her about this season because she was back, you know, it was coming off of an injury. It was her first full season in a while. And I asked her about that journey and she just could not say enough nice things about her teammates, about how close they are, about the nucleus they have, about how much they love playing with for their coach, for each for each other, just about how this is the absolute best basketball experience she's ever had on this team. And look, Skylar Diggins-Smith is a superstar. And I just love how invested she is in this team. And I think you can't over, you can't really underrate that. Because that's just so important. And look, on my end, I'm excited for the Mystics. Last season, they did make it to the semifinals in the playoffs and kind of an unexpected run. 
But this year, they are without Emma Miesman, who is going to stay in Belgium. Unfortunately, her Belgian national team coach would not allow her. He told the WNBA that he was okay with her playing the regular season, but that if the team made it to the playoffs, she would have to come back to the Belgian national team, that she wouldn't be able to do the playoffs. Oh, wow. And so, you know, Washington coach Mike Tebow was kind of like, well, I, I can't just have her all season then not for the playoffs. You know, this is a team that's expecting big things. I think overall will be good for Emma. She needs, she's still very young. She, since she didn't play college ball, she came out, she started in the league much younger than most players do. And she's just been playing year round nonstop. She was incredibly burned out at the end of last season. And you could see that in everything she did, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was in practice, whether it was during the game. So ultimately, I think having a couple months off will be good for her longevity, but it is hard not having her on the Mystics this season. But you still got Elena Deladon. You've got Crystal Thomas, who had this phenomenal season last year as a center and has just been playing remarkably in Russia this year as well. Uh, you have coming in, I mean, you, you've got all these players that are now healthy. And that's remarkable. You know, Tiara Ruffin Pratt, Natasha Cloud is feeling healthy. I just can't be more excited to kind of see what this team can do. Yeah. They've been working really hard this offseason and. I think that there could be some big things. It's just going to be such an exciting season. I mean, of course, by the way, we still have the Sparks and the Lynx who are still set up to be the best two teams in the league. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, just them. Brenda? I'm excited by by Maria Vadiva, the Russian that the LA Sparks drafted. She's 19. She's 19. Yeah. And she's been playing already a couple years professionally in Europe. She capped in the U19 Russian team that took a silver against the U.S., So I don't know. I I always hear people like commentators like Rebecca Lobo, who uh, is the awesomest, say things like pro ready. Yeah. And things things of that nature. And I have no idea how to think about a 19 year old being pro ready. When I was 19, I, I could hardly do laundry. But I think she's already been pro for two years. So it'll be really interesting. And the LA Sparks don't really, I don't know, do they really need her right now? I'm, I don't think so. But it seems like in the future, she's like a great bet. And I just like when leagues internationalize, you know, like Dominicans in the MLB or Brazilians in the NWSL. Just think it like adds a bit of something interesting to the whole thing. So I'm excited to see how she integrates into the team and how people respond to her in LA, which is already a flashy place. It is tough for the for the international teams, though, because like I said, they have these national team commitments and the, the WNBA does not stop for international play. The WNBA just keeps well, going. There's the no NWSL. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Know, I know, but it's also like it's cool because like now, right now, like in these tournaments, you see all of the like Washington spirit, like putting out like, hey, look at our player. So there's a way I hope that the WNBA feels like they can, you know, capitalize on it for, you know, publicizing the game too as like a global league. Yeah, I think it's tougher because the WNBA season's a little bit shorter. I, I just I've just seen the Mystics. With with what Emma's have to do, and Emma's one of the best players in the league, but it's really tough to have that as one of your core players. And it's I just I'm just saying, like I think it's it's just sad that there's not a better way to work this out because when you have a player who leaves a you know four month season for a month at a time, and your you know basketball is so much about chemistry, 
that's really tough. You know, that's really tough. So, but I, I, I am really excited to see where, what happens with her and where she goes. Anyone else? Yeah, I was just going to say that I can't remember who said this, but someone was po- talking about um, Vidiva before the draft and they were saying had she played ball in America, she would have been higher up in the draft. Like that she is so good that the fact that she was in the first round, but she, it was just that people didn't get a look at her in the way that they would have had she played ball here, that she's actually that good. So I didn't even realize she was 19. <laughs> so yeah. I learned something yeah. today and I'm, I'm floored by the whole thing. <laughs> even, even Zara Stevens, as you mentioned, Jess, she was only a junior. Like right. she, she's that was a not, huge deal not, when she came out early. Yeah, yeah. But she, but but she's older because she had transferred and had to sit out a year. Oh, and, that's and, right. You know yeah. all that stuff. But so they're, she, you know yeah. they're they're older. Yeah. But yeah, it's this is uh, in, oh Diamond to Shields. I we mentioned her a little bit at the top. Yeah. But, you know she's she kind of surprised everyone when you know midway through the WNBA season basically she left Tennessee last year and decided to go pro which meant she was too late for the WNBA season and so she's been overseas for the past year and I'm really excited to see what she brings and what her development has looked like and have her back on the floor because she's so exciting she went to Chicago (sighs) right and that's where her dad played for the her dad played for the Cubs Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Just, okay. I just love stories like I that. Didn't, I don't know. Yeah, okay. so I just think I that's too. real yes. sweet. So, yay. <laughs> Here at Burn It All Down, we are still buzzing from the women's final four that saw Notre Dame upset UConn in overtime in the semis and then take down Mississippi State in the championship game. Both victories came thanks to three-pointers by Arike Agumbawale in the waning seconds. This was Notre Dame's second national title, and it came 17 years after its first. This week, I had the honor to speak with Notre Dame's Hall of Fame coach, Muffet McGraw, about those games, the celebration sense, and so much more. We could only connect with Coach McGraw over cell phones, which means the audio quality is a bit lower than we usually prefer here at Burn It All Down. But please bear with us. I think it's more than worth it because she's just that brilliant. And as you will be able to hear, we had a blast talking. Enjoy. Coach McGraw, welcome to Burn It All Down. We are just thrilled to have you. How are you feeling a couple weeks later? Have you been able to come down from the high at all of that just phenomenal championship? Or are you still buzzing a little bit? You know, I'm still shaking my head wondering how it happened with two <laughs> miracle shots going in. First time in the women's Final Four, we've had three overtime games. It was the best Final Four ever in terms of excitement. And then for us to win, of course, made it a little more exciting for me. <laughs> to really. <laughs> have uh, just enjoyed going out in the community, being around town, and having so many fans just feel a part of it. I was reading a quote from Jackie Young, who said, talking about Enrique and that final shot, saying, we had confidence in her, and as soon as she put the shot up, I knew it was going in. Did you have that much confidence when you let go that shot? <laughs> you know, it seemed like um, it maybe five minutes before it left her hand and got to the rim. I mean, I think the whole crowd went just silent watching, waiting. And, you know, she arced it really high, so it took a long time to get in. And one went in. I definitely did not think it was going in. Uh, but then when I saw it, the trajectory, I thought, well, it's got a chance. But I, I no, no. That was not going to happen two games in a row. It, I'm still buzzing from it. Like, I keep thinking about it and just thinking, like, how – wonderful it was for the sport, for all the sports world. You know, yeah. I, I hate all the mm-hmm. qualifiers. This was, you know, just great for women's basketball. It was just great, yeah. a great sports moment, period, end of story. 
Yeah. You know, the exciting thing is how it's hit the mainstream media, not right. just ESPN. You know, it's been on, it's been on a lot of different things. And of course, Enrique um, has been out on the circuit doing speaking <laughs> at different things. But that's what I've heard. So many people are like, I never even watched women's basketball, but this is great basketball. Yeah, and you're like, duh, that's what we've been saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's been 17 years since you won the first national championship. I believe it was to the day, which is just another one of those weird coincidences. What would you have told the Coach McGraw of 2001 about what the journey, what advice would you give to that Coach McGraw? You know, I would have told her to enjoy the journey because that is something that I struggle with. To just, I love being a practice and I love that, but it's so much that goes into it, so much of a challenge, so much uh, stress that is related to it. And I always think I'd like to do this season over again. Now that I know we win, and I would really enjoy the journey a lot more. I think it goes through ups and downs. It's just like anything, any career that you have. Um, life's going to hit you with some adversity and you got to roll with it and get back up. And I think this team was probably the most resilient, but there were definitely times when, when I wondered, you know, if that was going to be the finish. Uh, Cause we went through, we had a 10 year drought just getting back to the final four. And that, that was a long 10 years. And, you know, coming out in 2011 and finally getting back to the Final Four, I thought was kind of a major accomplishment for us. Speaking of the Final Four, I read an anecdote I love, which was that at some point last season, I'm not sure between which ACL tear this would have been, but you went and you bought an outfit specifically for the Final Four. At that point, were you was this because you were confident that you were going to make it no matter what, what happened, or was it a superstitious thing, or what went into that? <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's kind of funny because it just it just kind of happened. I was shopping, I saw a dress, and I was like, this, I'm going to save this for the Final Four. And then during the season, after a couple of more ACL tears, I went back and made sure I hadn't taken the tags off because I was pretty <laughs> sure I was going to have to turn that one back. So, yeah, it definitely sat in my closet for a long time, and I didn't even want to look at it. Now you might have to enshrine that dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dress for sure. Well, after um, the bucket of water got poured on it, I'm not sure it survived the, uh, the locker room. There's so many unbelievable statistics about this game and about your season. But for me, it's, I can't get past that you only scored three points in the entire second quarter. And you went into halftime down 30 to 17 after, once again, only scoring three points, which is not usually, you know, a formula for, you know, winning, winning the national championship. What did you say to your team? And at that point, what was your mindset? Well, Lindsay, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering that we only scored three points in that quarter. Too, and what the heck? I mean, the wheels just completely fell off the bus. We we were hapless. Their defense was really great. The pressure was too much. And then we were letting them score. I mean, we, it wasn't working for us at either end. So we we got to the point where, like, let's just get to halftime and see if we can regroup. And we talked about our composure because we definitely lost our composure. We had people open. We couldn't see them. We couldn't find them. We couldn't get the ball to the right people. We were not taking the best shots. And then letting that bother us and go down the floor on offense. And we've been so resilient up till then about not letting things bother us. So we talked about regaining our kind of our mental game, get back on track, get back to the scouting report, get the ball inside, you know, take advantage of the mismatch. But uh, that was a long quarter. That was the worst quarter in, in the history of basketball, I think, as far as I know, but definitely <laughs> for us. And, you know, it's funny. We became a second-half team. I don't know why. And so many people were like, wow, what a, you must have had a great halftime speech. And, 
you know, my son was a little tired of hearing that, that story. And so he said, Mom, if it was such a great speech, why didn't you give it before the game? <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll try that next time. <laughs> Leave it to kids to bring you right back yeah. to the earth. <laughs> That's amazing. One of the things, I mean, it's, it's, of course, been, you know, you've heard this and you were the only female coach in the final four. You know, Title IX, which has been such a blessing for women's sports and has taken women's sports to new heights, but it's actually done the opposite when it comes to women's coaching. The percentage of women coaching these sports have gone down. So what does it mean to you to do this? And what do you think needs to happen in order to get more women into the coaching ranks? Well, we do have one of the few all-female staffs in the country. There's, there's only a handful of us that have all women on our staff. And so it may, really made me proud of, of what we have accomplished here and hope that it can be kind of a role model for some other coaches to look to hire more women. I think it starts with that. We've got to hire more women. We've got to train them. I think women need to have more confidence in applying for jobs. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a situation where people have to mentor. We have to be better mentors. There's an old boys network where – it just works for guys. They they can do so many things for each other. They help each other more than we do. I think Title IX was great in getting women out, but when it started, we had probably 80% of coaches were women. And now you look at what happened. Now we're getting better pay. Now we're getting all the things we've been fighting for. We're not at equal pay yet, but we're getting there. And so now it's attracting more men into the game because the salaries are really good. It's a, a really good job, but I would love to see more women just starting out, you know, we've got so many women graduating that are going to be great coaches. We've got to give them that opportunity. Women's basketball players, well, female athletes across the board, have really been leading the way when it comes to talking about social and political issues and addressing any form of inequality. I read a, a tweet of yours from last year talking about, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing you, but it was something along the lines. I'm sick of talking about how people are protesting. Let's let's address the why. You know, let's talk about the reasons behind these protests. Do you have these conversations with your athletes and with the women? Is that something that you're, are you very aware of what's happening in the outside world? Oh, absolutely. The social justice, I think, is a huge part of this generation. And look at how they're stepping up so well right now with, with after what happened in Florida. But I think for, for me, it's a, a lot about women's issues. The Women's March, we were so ready to take part in that, and we had a game that day. Oh, and no. So we, we weren't able to. And then there was a, another march, and, you know, we, we had a game that day. So we're hoping for something in a time that's not during our season that we can participate in because I think it's so important. Because these women, they have a platform. Um, they have a voice. Uh, they're recognized in the community. And they're the ones that need to step up and take the lead in these issues. And there's so many women's issues out there right now, but there's so many issues in general about what's going on in the world and certainly in this country. And, and I really hope they get involved. I encourage them to be involved and to use their voice. Speaking of, I have to ask the question because I have you here. Have you guys revisited the topic of going to the White House and what, what you would decide if you're invited? You know, we have okay. not, we have not been invited. And honestly, I, I don't, I don't know that we will be invited. So, we we will vote and see how the team feels about it if the invitation does come, but we uh, you know we have not received any invitation. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Now, who would you like to play you in the movie of this year? <laughs> I feel like this season has to be turned into a movie. <laughs> oh wow, gosh, I don't know. That would that would be a tough one, and it's it's funny you said that because. 
people were talking about, oh, you know who played them, you know, but we never yeah. got to me. So I don't know. You know, Sandra Bullock is kind of one of my one of my favorites. I would I would love to see her oh. in that role, but she would probably handle a lot better on screen. <laughs> you know, she, she she could channel you. I can see that happening for sure. <laughs> she was pretty tough on the blind side, so maybe you know. Yeah, yeah she, she she can certainly command uh, command the screen. She has that toughness. How do you follow this up? You obviously have some really talented players coming back next year, but I imagine it's going to be a different kind of challenge for you after this championship. And uh, you know, Arike has been on Ellen. <laughs> it's just been you know yeah. so big. So how do you how do you kind of recenter things and refocus after an accomplishment like this? You know, I think the biggest thing to fight is complacency. You, yeah. you did it. You got to the mountaintop, and now. Is there that same drive to get back there? I think the good thing is we had so many injuries, and two of them will be back. One of them is our All-American, Brianna Turner. So I'm hoping that she can kind of lead that charge. I think they enjoyed winning, and hopefully they can see the benefits. But I worry about that exact thing. Uh, there are no guarantees. We know that this year. Look what we lost this year. Look, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. Things change in the blink of an eye. So we have to appreciate where we are. And I think enjoy it and uh, and then get ready to get back to work. And this summer we're taking a foreign tour, so we'll be able to get our freshmen in and see all the new players and how everything's going to fit. But I'm not sure I'm going to know what to do without uh, only two subs on the bench. I'm going to have a whole, a whole group, so things will be different for me too. But I really think complacency is the biggest thing you got to fight. Absolutely. And what's the what's your favorite moment of celebration so far? Has there been anything special that you've done to maybe treat yourself or that you've, you've shared with your team that's meant the most? You know, we came back to campus and there was a huge crowd here to greet us. You know, we got the, the police escort into, into town and came out. And after the game, I think that's it's the celebration moments of being with this team and sharing in the championship with all the people that mean so much to us that have supported us for so long. But I love just being in the locker room with my team and just seeing the, the expression on their face that when they realize they did it, they did it. They came through this incredible year and won a championship. So to see the joy, I love looking at all the pictures of the celebrations and the people in the crowd celebrating and, you know, everybody welcoming us back. So it, it's been one long celebration and I'm enjoying every minute of it. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us. I have to say my, my grandfather went to Notre Dame and played football there. So I've always loved the school and uh, and, and rooting for, for your team. And it was just an honor to talk to you and to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, friends, burn pile time. <laughs> Jess, you want to get us started? Yeah, sure. So HBO recently released their new film, Paterno, starring Al Pacino in the titular role. Here's how the New York Times describes the film. Quote, the tightly constructed film in an hour and one and 40 minutes. It's a chamber piece by current television standard. It's set during two weeks in 2011 before and after the indictment of Mr. Sandusky, the former Penn State assistant football coach on 52 counts of sexual abuse of minors. Paterno, whose epic career ended when he was fired a few days after the indictment was announced, lies inside an MRI machine. He died of lung cancer in January 2012, and we watch both recent and more distant events as he recalls them. So first, I guess I'm just that person that doesn't get why we need this film. Uh, I know people are still interested. <laughs> I know people are still interested in what Paterno did or did not know, and his choices based on either his knowledge or ignorance. I think I'm tired of talking at all about Joe Paterno, but 
I'm actually burning the advertisements for this film, and I think it's the ads that get at why I'm just not about it. Uh, My friend Dan Solomon, he was in Los Angeles this week where ads for movies are on a whole other level, just generally in LA. But still, he posted a picture on Instagram of an entire building side taken up by an ad that simply said Paterno with a picture of Pacino as Paterno. A friend chimed in that she'd been seeing the ads all over the New York subway. And do we really need the face? of Paterno all over the damn place. To whatever extent you think Paterno was or was not involved in the cover-up, and no matter his actual level of culpability here, he will forever be attached to a horrific case that rests on decades-long disregard for child sexual abuse. We need that face everywhere right now? For what? But really, for whom? There's a reason his statue is no longer up at Penn State. It's important to always remember the children that Sandusky abused and that people at Penn State ignored are people in the world, too. We seem to forget that when we talk about these high-profile cases, and there are so many survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Is the face of Joe Paterno on the side of buildings or splashed throughout subway cars necessary? I just want to burn it. Burn. Burn. Bren? Okay. So this is one of those cases where I feel a little bit like a broken record. And then I realize, (laughs) I know. And then I realize, like, I'm not the thing that's broken. Oh, nice. (laughs) No, you're not. That's beautiful. That's That's beautiful. That's really nice. No, it's just, this is some bullshit. So the Copa America Femenina, which we've covered, the major tournament in South American women's soccer. And Burning All Down had a great interview with Argentine goalkeeper And we've been following it. I wrote a little bit about it. And it's been this amazing tournament. Average goal scores are like are like four, I think, which is makes it really exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's got, of course, like legendary talents like Brazil's Marta Formiga. And then it's it has a whole new generation of players like one of FIFA's, you know, top players, whatever that award was, uh, <laughs> um, the Venezuelan <laughs> Dana Castellanos. Then we have also Catalina Usme from Colombia, who's just tore it up. And so it's been this great tournament, better than even I expected. Brazil's like this elegant machine, just steamrolling other teams. And on Friday, the Argentine women's team clawed their way back into the tournament by defeating Venezuela 2 nothing. That means they reached the finals with Brazil, Colombia, and Chile. And I'm pissed because I'm here and in the major sports publications, literally, like after pieces that cover the bowel movements of Carlos Tevez or what Messi had for breakfast, there's two lines with a picture of, you know, Stefania Benini, who's the forward for Argentina, just saying, oh, yeah, like they beat Venezuela 2-0. So here I am, I know, and here I am ruining all my social opportunities and engagements here in Argentina, just ranting. So if you're invited to a party (laughs) with me, run away, run, (laughs) because I just keep sort of hammering away at the same thing, which is like, what is wrong with you people? This is awesome. Who cares what Carlos Tevez had for breakfast? So I want to burn down uh, all the people that are neglecting this in sports media that have the opportunity to see it neglecting this awesome tournament. So burn it. Burn burn, burn. Their, their negligence. Burn. Shireen? Lots of things made me mad 
uh, this week. <laughs> but we are, um, we are so fun at parties. We, we, are, yeah. we are the best at parties. <laughs> everything. Oh, here come the sporty killjoys. Um, that should be a band, the sporty killjoys. <laughs> if I ever have a band, it's going to be called the sporty killjoys. <laughs> Oh, God. So we'll clearly be a Spice Girls cover band. Anyway, sorry, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that this story came out of New Hampshire, and it made me really mad because it was basically a young girl whose last name is Klein. Her father, Dan, reported this to police. She had been playing in a baseball league, an ORYA baseball program, since 2012, and Currently, she's the only female player in the entire league. She is 11 years old. Now, because she is the only girl in the league, a couple of coaches thought it was a great idea to intimidate her out of the league, and they were going to bean her. And I had to actually Google what that means because I'm like not a super baseball person. It means throwing a ball at her head or at the person with intention to harm she is 11 years old. So this has become a situation where police got involved rightfully. And in this particular uh, USA Today story, there was no mention of whether those coaches that were planning this and plotting this are still actually there. So that made me mad also because they not, I think they should be, this is like a conspiracy to commit abuse against an 11 year old. Like this is disgusting. And like I was really frustrated. I didn't read more about it. Like, I'm just, I was so upset because it's plotting the harm against a child and a child that is trying to play baseball. Like, is your ego that fragile that this is what you would stoop to? Like, and also in order to be this, this young girl, they would implicate and involve other young male players presumably. So it's teaching, these are the cycles of violent masculinity and violent patriarchy that continue. And it's not funny. Like, yeah, by accident, I've seen some bad pitches being thrown, but like, those aren't, those are like, you know, because in youth baseball, not everyone's a great pitcher. Sometimes that happens, but to encourage us at this level and to think it's okay to do this, I was so angry. I want to burn all of that down. Burn, burn, burn. burn. All right, my burn is going to be quick this week because it's the NFL again. (laughs) (laughs) How often? But anyways, Colin Kaepernick, who has been staying in wonderful shape, he's still out there working hard and throwing the ball and, and putting things on social media to show how hard he's working to counter these narratives that he doesn't care if he gets a job. So he was supposed to work out for the Seattle Seahawks this week. And if you know anything about football and about the Seattle Seahawks starter, Russell Wilson, and the way he plays, Kaepernick would seem to be a logical choice for a backup quarterback. Absolutely. So they have this workout schedule with Colin Kaepernick. A few days beforehand, they asked him if he would guarantee that he wouldn't take a knee during the national anthem this season. Kaepernick would not guarantee that. And so they postponed the workout indefinitely. Once again, because he won't commit to stop taking a knee during the national anthem to peacefully protest police brutality and systemic racism, they will not even hold a workout for him. The news came just days after Pro Football Talk reported that Kaepernick's former San Francisco's 49 San Francisco 49ers teammate and current free agent Eric Reed was also asked this time during a visit with the Cincinnati Bengals whether he plans to take a knee during the national anthem next season. Reed, who is a Pro Bowl safety, also refused to give the Bengals that insurance and 
Reed is still unemployed. This is collusion. This has got to be good. If anything, this is good fodder for Kaepernick's lawsuit against the NFL. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it seems pretty clear cut to me that this is why they're not being signed. And this is a bo- this is blackballing. This is trying to suppress voices of people who are speaking out against injustices. This is systemic racism. And burn. 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 right let's cleanse our palate by lifting up some badass women of the week let's give an honorable mention to argentine player soledad jaimes who used her goal in the copa america to protest the treatment of women players rather than celebrate we also want to lift up castor semenya the south african runner who won gold medal in the 800 meters and the 1500 meters at the commonwealth games this week we love you castor and another drum roll, please. Thank you. All right. Our badass woman of the week is Lindsay Whalen, who was announced as the head coach of the University of Minnesota Gophers, where she played college basketball as well. Lindsay is still going to be playing for the Minnesota Lynx this season. And that is remarkable. This is something that Dawn Staley actually did way back when, when she coached for Temple and played in the WNBA. And if there's anyone else who can do it, it's Lindsay Whalen. There is something about those Team USA point guards <laughs> that we just <laughs> Love, but we are excited for more women to get into head coaching, and we are excited for these players to be given these opportunities. And I know that Lindsay is going to crush it. So, congratulations, Lindsay! You are our badass woman of the week. All right, friends, what is good in your life, Jess? Yeah. So this week I'm traveling on Wednesday. I'm so excited about this. I'm going to be on stage at Cal State East Bay talking sports and the Me Too movement with WNBA All-Star Leisha Clarendon. Yay! Yay. She's a fellow flamethrower. If you listen back all the way to episode eight, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to be in discussion with Leisha about this topic. It's an honor for me to be on stage with her and I'm really looking forward to it. That's amazing. Bren? Yeah, last week I was in Ireland. I, I missed the show. And it, would, it took me away from the kids for a long time. So what's been fun this week is reconnecting and hanging out and walking around in this place that we live, La Plata, which is in the province of Buenos Aires. It's known for its political and cultural street art. And so we've been cool. kind of trying to be like detectives, going around and checking out the different murals. And it's just been a super fun experience. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that so much. Shereen? I was uh, quoted in an article for ESPNW about one of the most f- wonderful things in my life, the movie Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> so Ashwarya Kumar and uh, Katie Barnes, who we've had on the show, they did an amazing piece on it. And I was really honored to be included in that. So I watched the movie last night with my boys, which was really, really awesome. Like my, I didn't realize my youngest hadn't seen it yet. But uh, had a, had a wonderful time, and and just for self care practices because it's been a busy week and stuff. Um, I'm just watching gifs of Beyonce slaying at Coachella. Otherwise, I never would pay attention to Coachella. But everything Beyonce <laughs> does is, is pretty pretty magical. And so there's there's that, and I'm excited to follow 
men's city women who are going to the FA Cup final, which is the match, right? Semifinal match is starting right now. So right after we're done recording, I'm going to hop on Facebook and watch it, which is where I get a lot of my European women's soccer. So that is what's good. I'm excited. There's a freezing rainstorm and every game is practice of my kids and myself is canceled. So I'm going to stay home. Oh, man. Well, for me, I am excited because yesterday we actually had a beautiful day. It was almost a little hot here. It was in the mid 80s. <laughs> and oh. it was our first day where I felt like I could wear a dress and no leggings and just enjoy the sunshine because it has been a long winter here in DC. So that was beautiful. I, I did a a little breakfast in the park with a friend. And then at night, I went to a a beer garden where there was live music. And there was just some outdoor time with friends. And it was, it's been a tough week. And it was just what I needed. So that's what's good for me. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. Episode 50, we are getting closer to our one-year anniversary episode, and we cannot wait to share that with you all. We are just just kind of want to make sure you're all anticipating. <laughs> you can follow us on well, – you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. The reviews that you leave, A, they're, they make us emotional – when they're wonderful and when they're bad, honestly, those two make us emotional, but we haven't gotten a bad one in a really long time because our listeners are amazing and it really helps people find our podcast. So especially as we get up to this one year anniversary, if you could leave a review, that would be an amazing gift for us. Remember to also check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash burn it all down. You can tweet us at Burn It Down Pod. Follow us on Twitter where we have some beautiful new graphics on display. And we're also on Facebook. Thank you all so, so much. It was an honor to bring you this show. And let's all keep throwing those flames. And I'm sorry.